0: This morning, we're going to begin 2 Corinthians. Surprise! <laughs> we finished 1 Corinthians up uh, in the recent past, and I want to move into 2 Corinthians. Now, in our scripture reading this morning, you notice we read from Luke chapter 15 and the parable of the prodigal son. And I wanted that read because I want to start there this morning in our thinking. Um, And to just recap what that passage is about, we know Jesus shared a parable, and it's really the story of a father and two sons, and of course, one son gets it in his head and his heart that he's better off without his old man, he'd be better off on his own, he'd be better off doing what he wants to do. He had the illusion of happiness and fulfillment away from his family. And really away from God and God's way of life and faith. And so he pursued that desire of his heart. And he asked his father for his inheritance up front and early and took it. And as the passage tells us, he went out and completely squandered all of it. Right? So he has this really bad attitude toward his father. He has this really bad decision-making that he's been doing. And he's paying the, the prices of it in a sense. And he he finds himself one day nearly starving, eating with some swine, eating out of their trough with them practically, which for a Jewish young man would have been considered unclean and it was as low as you could go. And he starts to sort of wake up to really what's going on in his life, right? He looks and he realizes what he's done, what he's lost, what he's given up, and it's been all for nothing. And you see a conviction come over his heart. And he decides that it would be better off if he would go back to his dad and ask if he could be one of his, his family's servants. And he says, even the, his servants have it better than I do. And so he goes back and he's, he's not even looking at himself as his father's son anymore. He's just going to go back and be a servant, take what he can get. Anything's better than living with the pigs. Right? So he goes back home, and you know as the parable goes, the, the father sees him coming, and they begin to make these preparations, right? And you see the heart of the father in this story. And what is his feelings and attitude toward his son that's been lost, that's been wandering the path of sin and destruction? And he, he kills the fatted calf, he, he celebrates, he, he runs... And he meets the son on the road, embraces him, right? And what you see in that, to me, there's a lot of things you can see in that, but one of the things you see in that is you see one of the greatest pictures of grace in the Bible. Because in that, you see in that moment that the father's love and acceptance and favor and desire toward that son never changed. No matter what had happened in his life, the choices he made, the stupid stuff that he did, and he knew better. And yet the father's love and acceptance never waned. It was unchanging, and it comes out when he's coming home, his father runs out to greet him. And you see a picture of grace, that acceptance, that favor. It's the same that God feels toward you and holds in his heart toward you. And I suppose while we're talking about the prodigal son, let's talk just a moment on his brother. His brother, oh, he was the faithful one, right? He was the good one. He's the one that stayed, kept his nose to the grindstone, did the work, did the things he's supposed to. And yet he gets upset when he sees the love his father still has for his brother. Because in that son's eyes, he looks over at his brother who squandered everything and says he does not deserve it. He doesn't deserve it. that actually helps us to understand grace better because it's never deserved. <laughs> it's never deserved. See, that, that what that son didn't understand is his life, he was probably, maybe he was living in performance and trying to earn his own father's acceptance, not recognizing he already had it. We don't know all the ins and outs of what was going on in their hearts. So we only know what we read. But he stands out in the story as the, the legalist, as it were, the one who uh, would major on the minor, so to speak, he didn't understand grace, he didn't understand why his father would still so lovingly accept his son, because he didn't understand grace. And we're coming this morning to 2 Corinthians, another one of Paul's epistles, and we're going to really focus on the idea of grace this morning and the difference that grace makes in each of our lives and understanding what it is to receive God's grace and live in His grace. And it's one of these things that we have to continually come back to. We continually need a reminder of this because in our own minds sometimes, our own hearts, we kind of wander away and and, and we start to, in a a lot of ways, kind of forget about God's grace. We're coming to 2 Corinthians this morning. 2 Corinthians is a book that teaches us a lot of things. It's why I want to spend time in this book now. There's so many great principles of grace lived out. Grace lived out, so many ways. It it teaches us how to deal with suffering and problems. You got any of those? (laughs) Just look to the person next to you. No, I'm kidding. (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) No, we all got problems and sufferings. You probably woke up with some today. (laughs) You probably had tripped over a few on your way to church. Some of the problems of life, the struggles we all face. It's a book about how we deal with suffering and problems. It's also a book about how we face confrontation, how we seek reconciliation. It shows us how God brings sorrow into life sometimes to bring repentance. It gives a more complete picture of giving with a heart full of God's grace. It reassures us of the life we have with God when we leave this life behind. And it reminds us of our purpose while we are here in this life. These are just a few things that this epistle touches upon. As Paul again resumes his dealings with the Corinthians, a troubled group of individuals who were Christians who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ and His death, burial, and resurrection... But they still had their problems. And Paul is continuing to work with them through the things that were holding them back in their Christian life. And always what he's doing, and it's really what he does in all his epistles, is he's always trying to bring the focus back to God's grace. The grace that saves us, the grace that transforms us, the grace that keeps us moving forward in the Lord. 2 Corinthians is also considered Paul's most personal letter. Almost any commentator you open up will say that. Because he shares so many insights into his own heart and life as he appeals to the Corinthians to heed the truth that he shares with them. We're going to get into some passages where Paul just opens up his heart and he just tells him exactly what he's feeling, exactly what he's been going through. Paul was a very authentic and transparent person. It comes out in this epistle for sure. He wasn't without his own struggles and his own challenges, his own trials and tribulations, and he shares that with them. And again, I simply find this book filled to overflowing with God's transforming truth. So I'm excited to begin this journey through this epistle with you this morning. And as we do that, let's turn to Second Corinthians chapter one. And I'm going to go ahead and read the first seven verses, but we're going to focus on the first two this morning and we'll focus on the other part of the passage next week. Second Corinthians chapter one, beginning with verse one: "Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, in Timothy our brother." To the church of God, which is at Corinth, and with all the saints who are in all Achaia, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also abounds through Christ. Now, if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation, or comfort, and salvation, which is effective for enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation, and our hope is, or excuse me, our hope for you is steadfast, because we know that as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. Already we have such a powerful passage talking about the God of all comfort, and I really want to go right there, but I want to talk about a little bit about the first couple of verses and setting the foundation. For the whole epistle, as Paul does in all of his writings, the emphasis always on grace. Because we always start with grace. So we're going to look at verses 1 and 2 here this morning. And of course, the very first word is the name of the author, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. And I want to talk a little bit about Paul and his impact on those around him, especially those at Corinth. And so... As we talk about verse 1, we're really looking at the power of a transformed testimony. The power of a transformed testimony. When you just think about simple things like this book, this letter, or any of his letters, none of them would exist apart from the grace of God in Paul's life. None of them would exist apart from the transforming transforming work of, of God in his life. And so we see right away the power of a transformed testimony. We're going to bring that out more. And I also want to make this point here, is that a testimony of trust in God positively impacts others. A testimony of trust in God positively impacts others. This is how we start with grace this morning. Paul whose life was characterized by grace, who knew God's grace toward him, who lived out God's grace, was then able to impact others with that same grace. God was able to use him because he rested in God's grace, and it impacted those he went to, those who traveled with him, and we see them. Let me give you a little bit of background again on 2 Corinthians and what's going on here. We've shared a little bit about this in the past. And it can be a bit confusing if you do go and do a deep dive, but we'll kind of just sum it up. And it's our understanding that this is actually the fourth letter that Paul wrote to Corinth. And there's some there's a series of verses you can go to in First and Second Corinthians that seems to make that apparent. He in First Corinthians he mentions an epistle he had written to them. So First Corinthians is clearly not the first time he wrote. Well, when you get to 2 Corinthians, he starts talking about a visit he made in which he came down on them fairly fairly uh, hard, if you will. He was pretty corrective in his tone when he was with them, and that seems to have occurred some uh, sometime uh, before 2 Corinthians, and it seems that he wrote another letter to them before 2 Corinthians, okay? So we'll just keep it simple. This is, it seems that this is his fourth time writing to them, and... You know, there, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of application just in that. Um, sometimes the process of working out problems and extending grace to others takes time. <laughs> it takes more than one effort or one attempt. It, this is his fourth epistle. He's visited them. He wants to go back to them. But it takes time. And he's spending that time, he's being patient with them, keeping the door open as long as they do, to impact their life with God's grace and speak truth to their hearts. And so we'll just make that note that this is probably the fourth time he's written to them in this little bit of a saga that he's in with them and trying to bring them along in God's grace. And then... I'll make a couple of notes here. We'll just make some apparent notes that he calls himself an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God. You know, we can review that for a minute. An apostle means sent one. There are several apostles uh, so called in, in the New Testament. They're named that by the scriptures. And it meant that Jesus Christ sent them. Jesus had his 12 apostles that he sent to Israel. And we see that. Later, the apostle Paul was raised up, sent to the Gentiles with the gospel of the grace of God, so he's writing from that perspective. And he usually starts, I'm pretty sure he starts every epistle with this Paul an apostle. He usually always calls himself an apostle. He, he's leaning into, it's not so much a brag as it's leaning into God's work, this is God's choice, God's the one that called him to be a sent one or an apostle and commissioned him to go out with the grace of God, so he's always brings that up. He doesn't write of his own credentials or his own power or his own ability. He says, God put me here. So I'm going to do what God called me to do. It's just really that simple, I think. But what's extra interesting with the Corinthians is, is you're going to see through this book, a lot of people, if you just sum up the whole book in just one statement, uh, it's, it's kind of like Paul defending his apostleship. That's how a lot of people, uh, it's a big theme, I'll say the least, especially the last few chapters. Paul defends his apostleship. He has to make the case again that it was God who did this work in his life, and God sent him into their lives. And so it's, it's almost a little bit of an extra emphasis here in verse 1 that he's, no, I am an apostle, and it's not by my will. As he says, it's by the will of God. And he actually, we're going to we're gonna find him in this book several times Having to make the case that, no, I'm doing this for God, God put me here. It's not, it's not me, it's him. Because they wanted to challenge that. Now, already, as we just make some comments opening up this book, already we see it's grace that brought Paul to Corinth for the first time. It's grace that kept him writing to these people and speaking truth in their life and trying to bring them back. It was grace in which he would go back and visit them. And it's grace that he would write this epistle now and take the time again. And this is, again, reflective of God's work in him that he only still wanted the best for them. And there were some in this church that would probably just assume spit in his eye (laughs) as it comes out. You'll see scriptures later where they, they were saying things like he's got contemptible speech, you know, we'd rather listen to anybody but him. He, couldn't, he can't talk well. He's not very impressive in his presence. And they got, had all these insults even for him. At least some of the people in the church did. But grace is why this epistle exists and why he wrote to them even in a context of conflict, of agitation and irritation with others, of a people who some were very verbally saying, we don't care for you so much. And yet, love compelled him, Jesus Christ compelled him, God's grace compelled him to keep reaching out, to keep ministering, and really, this morning's message is really about you with your relatives this holiday, no, I'm just kidding, again, sorry, (laughs) sorry, (laughs) but you probably, maybe you're thinking some application, I don't know, (laughs) maybe you're thinking some application there, but. But let's think about Paul for a minute, because again, his story, oh, when we read his name as we begin this epistle, his story comes back to mind, where he came from and how God changed him. And we, we know if we go back and we would read through some of the middle chapters of Acts, especially if you read the end of Acts chapter 7 and the beginning of Acts chapter 8, you know what you find, you, know, you find Paul who uh, ha- had the Hebrew name of Saul, Saul of Tarsus, And he was a real jerk, okay? And that's putting it mildly. He was a a sanctified murderer. He was legalistic to the core. He lived by God's law of the Old Testament. He considered himself a great Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews. He had all the credentials. Uh, He was sort of beloved by his other legalist Jewish friends. (laughs) He was... uh, uh, And he took all that zeal, and he put it toward persecuting those who were believing that Jesus was the Messiah. He had all this religious knowledge, he had all this passion for God, and he used it to see Christians imprisoned and killed. Beware religion, right? That's kind of the motto across that. There's a bumper sticker. Beware religion, because that's what it does to people when you don't understand grace and a relationship with God. He's the villain of the story when you first meet him. Persecuting the church, getting letters of authority to go into other regions and cities to bring anybody that calls upon the name of Christ back for judgment, imprisonment, perhaps even death. And he was there, when you read in Acts chapter 7, and they stoned Stephen, who was one of the deacons of the Jerusalem church. He was there holding the coats, Later it says he gave his consent, which some, it sounds like he maybe had a place where he voted for it. That he said, yeah, let's kill him. That he voted for it. That was on his record. Not a guy you want to be friends with at that time, right? We know the story. And he was going to Damascus, this is in Acts chapter 9, and the Lord appeared to him, Jesus Christ, in a light brighter than the noonday sun. And he, he he recognized in that moment what he really was and what he'd really been doing. And it reminds me again of that prodigal son who woke up one day in the pig pen going like, What am I doing? What is going on? This Paul, he didn't really have much choice, but he woke up that day, right? He, he saw for the first time the reality, and then he was blind three days, <laughs> some irony there. But he actually finally saw what was really going on and who the Lord really was. And in his heart, I'm sure it was a lot like the prodigal son. In his heart, his heart reoriented toward God in that moment, reoriented toward Jesus Christ, and he recognized the grace that God was showing him in that very moment. That I deserve to die for what I've done to the name of Christ. I do not deserve anything that God is doing for me in this moment. And yet, Jesus tells him, I'm going to use you. I'm going to send you out to the Gentiles to turn them from Satan to God the Father. And so God takes a guy that all the the believers of that time feared, would hide from. He's the villain of the story. God takes him and says, you're going to be the guy that goes out now. You're going to be the guy that helps me to spread my love to the world, the gospel of Jesus Christ. To those who would otherwise have no hope, and so the grace of God takes a guy that we would want nothing to do with and begin to transform him, put him in a place of huge influence, but he became a champion of God's grace he went from a persecutor of Christ to a champion of god 's grace, and he went out it's the difference that grace makes that's what Paul the apostle knew that's why Everything was about grace because he knew what he deserved and he knew he didn't get what he deserved. Instead, he got all this a flood of blessing and love from God the Father and Jesus Christ. His heart would never be the same. And then Paul went out and what God's work in his life began to impact others. Yes, Paul was given a message and he preached it. He made it known. He was not ashamed of the testimony of Jesus Christ. He did tell everyone he could about his Lord that loved him. But you know what else he did? He lived a life consistent with God's grace, a life consistent with God's love. And that is why his his ministry was so much was so effective, really, because it was both the truth and the life of Jesus Christ manifested through this man. And we read in 2 Corinthians 1.1 1, 1, that Timothy, our brother, is mentioned again. Timothy co-writes this letter of Paul. And you think, well, you probably know the story of Timothy, but where does Timothy come from? Timothy is here mentioned. Timothy is in this narrative because Paul went through his town one day, and Paul spoke grace, Paul lived out grace, And Timothy was saved. Timothy came to know the Lord. And God began to do a work of grace in Timothy's heart. Because Paul's testimony positively impacted Timothy. And Timothy was willing to take a step out for the Lord. And Timothy was willing to go into places where he would be persecuted and suffer for the Lord's sake like Paul. And so when Paul is writing this letter, now like the fourth one in the series as we understand it, Timothy is with Paul. Now, and I'll just give you this. Where they're at now, they're in the region of Macedonia. They're north of Corinth a little ways. They're not in Ephesus anymore. He was in Ephesus, what we would call modern-day Turkey. Back then, it was the Roman province of Asia. He was there when he wrote 1 Corinthians. And he had sent Timothy to them. And Timothy went, did some good, but they didn't fully accept everything. So then, apparently, Paul went and kind of with kind of, you know, sort of a a tone of correction again. And, and again, um, now what's happened is we'll see play out. He has sent another guy named Titus there, and Titus left, and Titus is looking for Paul, and Paul's traveling, and they meet somewhere. But anyway, he hears further report. There's some good, but there's still some bad happening at the church. So Paul is now trying to make his way to Corinth, and he's in he's north of Corinth in the Roman province of Macedonia, okay? So Timothy, when he writes this, what it shows us is Timothy is traveling with him. Timothy is going with him. Timothy already left Ephesus to travel across the sea, the Aegean Sea, to go to Corinth already because of Timothy's love and heart for these people. And now Timothy is traveling with Paul on a return visit. Why do you guys think they spent all this money and took all this time and effort to go from these cities to cities back then when it was hard to travel? No big deal for you and I to hop on the interstate and be in Chicago in like two hours, if, if even that, depending on where you're going, minus traffic, of course, <laughs> but it's no big deal. But for them, it's by foot, it's by boat, it's the threat of shipwreck. What moved them to do that from place to place? God's grace is what made the difference. They knew God's grace, and it unlocked their heart and their desire to serve him. And so Timothy is with Paul, making his way here. So we see God's grace impact Paul. And then we see Paul's testimony impact Timothy. And then Paul, had, he, when he, he had come to Corinth years before, and he had reached this people, he had, an 18, I think it was an 18-month stay with them, in which he sort of planted this church originally, helped some of them come to know the Lord as their Savior. He was the founder of the church he's writing to here. And they were saying they were doubting whether he was even an apostle or a man of God, some of them were. You know, what you see with Paul is a guy that always reached his hand out, and they would reach their hand back out to slap him, <laughs> it's kind of the relationship with some of these people. But you know what Paul did? He, he left that hand out. He didn't clinch it back to smack it. He, he left that hand out. Let's see, if, let me try again. I don't know what does that, but God's grace. I don't know what does that, but God's grace. And so because of God's grace and the difference it made in Paul's life, he was able to impact some people in Corinth that were open to the word of the Lord. The church was started. He's still ministering to them. They've had their struggles. They've had their problems. We read about so many of them in 1 Corinthians. They're still struggling here. There's been some positive change with some, but there's still a contingency of people that aren't for Paul. They're still struggling with some things. But he's still reaching out in God's grace. And notice, too, before we leave this idea of testimony, look at the last part of verse 1. He says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in all Achaia. Now, Achaia is the province in which Corinth is in. And it's what we would think of sort of like the southern half of of modern-day Greece. So there was Macedonia, which was a province of the north part of Greece, and Achaea of the south part of Greece. So they were divided into two provinces back then. And what's interesting, he writes to the Corinthians, but he's also saying, and everybody in the whole region. Which tells you, the cat's out of the bag. <laughs> what he's been dealing with this church on is known across the region now. And he's had to step even beyond just the church and you don't know you wonder what's going on. have they been spreading their lies to the other churches that may have been in the area had he have they been spreading malicious lies about the apostle paul but their 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 sin, which he deals with in first Corinthians and he deals with it kind of him to the church, it's went beyond the church now, and he has to involve the whole province that's a pretty that's, that's what I call escalation. <laughs> that's escalation. And it shows you something, a little principle. We'll see it come out in other places in the Bible. But sometimes when you're dealing with something, when it's made public, then it has to be dealt with in public. And that's something nobody likes to do, but it, sometimes it happens. And he, it seems like now he's including all these other churches, and they're going to know the story because they're going to read this stuff. They're meant to read it now. And they're going to be caught up on what's been going on, and he's going to have to set the record straight with these other groups that are out there. And you, and you might think, well, that seems a bit vindictive. That seems a bit fleshly. That seems a little over the... Doesn't that seem like a bit much, Paul? I mean, really. I mean, why would you tell other people about this? Well, I would suggest to you is because of God's grace he would do that. It was God's, God's grace he would deal with it publicly, because apparently they had already made it public, and he's not just going to let it go to shipwreck the faith of others, to harm other people. Grace is going to move him to keep the target on his back and move out and now minister to even those beyond Corinth to set the record straight, despite the cost to himself. He didn't have much to gain through these, this letter here he's writing. And all, he was already being persecuted and insulted. He didn't have a lot to gain here. But he's still willing to take the hit, if you will. And I I just kind of marvel at what even the first verse begins to fill in for us. That this has escalated. That there's a lot at stake here. The testimony of Jesus Christ is at at stake across this whole province now because of what's been going on in Corinth. And Paul steps in out of grace. It's not about him. It's not his flesh, his ego, his prestige, his credentials. It's because if I don't step in, nobody else will, and they're all going to spiral down the drain together. And he's going to step in knowing it's going to cost him more relationships. It's going to bring him more pain from others. And he doesn't stop, though. He keeps moving forward. And his testimony would continue to impact others. This is the second point on the outline, and we've already kind of explained it to some degree, but Christ leads us to face confrontation and seek reconciliation. Christ leads us to face confrontation and seek reconciliation. None of us like confrontation. None of us like sitting down, sometimes to have a frank conversation about concerns, sometimes to point out, that's sinful brother or sister that's not good for you or anybody around you and it really needs to stop because it's going to hurt people nobody wants to do that, that that's, this, that's why people don't a lot of people don't want to be in any kind of ministry or any, they don't want to do these things there's no fun because it's only going to bring a lot of times it, only, it seems like it's going to bring you pain but we say no, no this is part of what God has for us and this is grace at work again This is grace at work. Grace, God's grace puts in our heart a willingness to put our own self out there to take the pain, the suffering that somebody else might level against us to have a loving conversation or confrontation with somebody if necessary. And that again, that's this whole letter. He's still willing to confront. He's now doing it on the public stage and he's saying, you you need to hear this because if you don't, What's at stake? What's going to happen? The consequences will be very destructive. But the goal of confrontation is always reconciliation. Always coming together before the Lord again. And that's what Paul's been doing through the series of letters to the Corinthians along with the visits and the guys he sent there is he's been trying to bring them further along in the truth and in the understanding of God's grace so they can be the team that God wanted them to be, that they could be the one in Christ that God intends to live it out. And reconciliation is the idea of bringing two people at odds back into friendly terms or back to a state of friendship. And we're going to see that play out in this epistle, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it right here, But that's what he's doing. This letter exists. It's an appeal and it's a call and it's a step toward reconciliation. Let's get it all out there. Let's admit what's wrong. Let's get forgiveness from each other. You'll see that later with the godly sorrow and repentance and everything that comes out. And then we can move forward together again. This isn't meant to be permanent. This thing between us. That's what his appeal really is. It doesn't have to be this permanent grudge. And 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 my goodness, if sometimes Christians aren't the best at holding grudges against others, that, that we feel wronged. I'll never talk to that person. I'll never go there again. I'll never. By the way, always and never. Don't use those words. <laughs> They're never true. I just used it. <laughs> But God leads us to confront because it's what's necessary at times. It's what grace would call us to because of the sake of the gospel and the sake of our fellowship and the sake of people growing and understanding God's love and truth. We're going to move on now to verse 2. And again it says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see here, as we see in all of Paul's epistles, the provision of grace and peace. This is how Paul starts every letter without exception. He mentions grace and peace. Sometimes he throws in mercy as well. But always grace and peace. And I, I really don't believe that Paul just this, was just, this was not just a cultural greeting, grace and peace. He, he may be borrowed from some greetings, but he put his own spin on it. And it was always grace and peace from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, and what I love about that is basically when Paul says that every time he writes, is that he's basically saying, look, this is, this is all I'm offering to you. I'm not here for me. I'm not here for you to whatever. I'm here only to bless you, to help you understand more and more of God's grace and peace. It's just, it's just what God has for us. Every day, this is what God offers us, grace and peace. Grace and peace. Every day. Every moment. That's what he puts out in front of us. The provision is always there. But I bet you, like I, don't always quite feel that way. That I'm in the center of God's grace and peace in the moment. I might feel a little disjointed, out of sorts. Maybe some days tied up in knots about something. And it always comes back, am I receiving God's grace and peace, am I living there? Is that my reality? Is that where my heart is? He always provides it, and that's what Paul's, again, I don't think it's just a clever greeting that just meant nothing. I think it was a a really close, uh, it was about as close as he could come to like putting his whole message and ministry in a nutshell. Grace and peace from God the Father, Lord Jesus Christ. That's all I got. That's all I got. I got them, and I got what they got for you, and that's it. and That's all. I don't got fame and fortune. He didn't preach health welfare, to you, by the way, uh, if you could tell, if you couldn't tell in his own life. That's all he had because that's our greatest need, and that's what God offers us. Let's talk about grace for a little bit. Grace is God's giving goodness directed toward us that works in us. You might have another definition, many good definitions. It's hard to capture in words all that grace is. It's so hard. I was taking a little bit of a swing at it here with this definition there on your, your sheet. Grace has been called unmerited favor. That's certainly true. God wants to bless you. You don't deserve it. That's the prodigal son. That was Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, and it's you, and it's me. We're all in that same boat. We don't deserve an ounce of it. We deserve eternal condemnation and destruction and damnation in the lake of fire. That's what's deserved. Because our hearts have rebelled against God in so many ways, we can never count them all. And yet, he offers grace and peace. It's undeserved. It's unmerited favor. Some have said that grace is God's riches at Christ's expense. God's riches, everything, all his blessing. It's like he backs the truckload up and just dumps it all on top of you. All his blessing. It's a flood of his riches and grace and favor and just everything. But it was at Christ's expense. It's not free. It cost him his own son to open up the gate to bless you. Because until Christ would die for you and shed his blood for your sins and take away your sin through the gospel, you could not receive it. God's holiness would have continued to hold you accountable and you would have been under condemnation. It's only through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that this salvation can be offered, that we can even experience the grace of God in our lives. I'm going to put a verse up on the screen here, a verse I think about every time I read Paul's greeting in any of his epistles, and it's Romans chapter uh, chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 I had to double check the screen because uh, on mine (laughs) I have the wrong verse written down but I have the right uh, right, I have the right words with the wrong reference anyway Romans chapter 5 1 and 2 just listen to these words therefore having been justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we also have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God Paul says there When we're justified by faith, that means we're saved, we're declared righteous in God's sight. You do that by putting your faith that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again. That's how God saves you. That's it right there. You're, You're in line one, justified by faith. Also, as the verse says, you have peace with God through Jesus Christ. You're not at enmity with God. You're now a son of God. You have this relationship with God. And we get to experience that. And we get to experience the peace with God and and the peace of God. We'll talk about that in a minute. And then it says we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand. We have access to grace every day through our faith. And I think this in a nutshell is what Paul communicates in his greetings. This is central to his message it's grace and it's peace. And it's every day. It's not just when you're saved. It's every day you can experience these realities in your life and in your heart. And that's what he's offering the Corinthians again. I'm going to put another verse up on the screen. It's from Ephesians chapter two, verse seven. Ephesians two, seven. Says that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. It's another interesting verse because not only do we have access into grace now, not only are we saved by grace and we have access into the grace in which we stand every day, we can have grace in our hearts. What's coming ahead is God is going to continue to show the exceeding riches of his grace. We've barely tapped the well of God's grace, apparently. And look at everything he's already blessed us with. I show you these verses because I can't tell you, I can't use words to describe God's grace. I can go to verse after verse. I could tell story after story, give you definition after definition, and we would only be scratching the surface of what it really is. I I was trying to think of a way to express God's grace, and if you think of everything good in existence, if you think of every sunset, every piece of beauty, every time you hugged your mom and dad in love, and all those experiences, it's all God's grace. And when he says grace to you, what he says is all of the goodness of God, all the blessing you can imagine, is all focused on you from God's heart. You have this favor, this love, it's unlimited, it's unchanging, and it's always there. And every day you wake up, that's what God wants you to experience. That favor and that love and that acceptance. It's what sets hearts free. It's what changed Paul. And it's what's changed us. And then he talks of peace as well. Grace and peace. Peace is the state of rest and security in God that only He can provide. The believer is also to experience peace every day. Philippians 4, 6, and 7 put it this way, "...be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." Peace is the opposite of anxiety. When we're restless, we, we know our heart, we, we know our blood pressure's up, we know we're, we're stressed and everything, and God says, I have something for you. I have peace for you. The stress, all that stuff, that's not from me. Where does it come from then? It's when we internalize other things in our life. But he always offers us Peace. And he says in that verse, you you come to God in prayer. And you come to him with that heart, opening up your heart to him, pouring your heart out in supplication, opening up your heart to God, and giving it to him. And you give him your anxieties, and you say, Lord, just give me your peace. And you give it over to him. And it says there, that it will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The world cannot even come close to promising you anything like this. No other religion, no other faith, no other thing can ever touch what God is offering you freely in Jesus Christ. Romans 15:13 another verse that goes along with peace that we can experience in our daily lives. Romans 15:13 says, "Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing" that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You know, in our, in our passage we read earlier in 2 Corinthians 1, he's the God of all comfort. Here in Romans 15, he's the God of all hope. And we could add he's the God of all peace, and he's the God of all joy. And so all these things set before us, comfort, hope, peace, joy, sound good? <laughs> it's right there. It's right there. That's God handing it out, all in grace. Right here, it is. It's all yours. In believing, in faith, in trusting Him. It's when we don't we don't trust Him in those moments, in those anxieties, in those troubles. We bear it. We take it in. We keep hold of it, and that smile fades, and that attitude hardens up, and those words start coming out that you regret ten minutes later. Right? It's just me, I suppose. No, I know some of you. Don't you know? If you were in Sunday school this morning, Pastor Lynn was accusing us of all kinds of stuff. You don't even know what Cynthia did in Sunday school, according to her sheet. No, I'm just kidding. You now, he put sheets out in front of us that had like some kind of a random sin on it. And when she turned hers over, it said murder. <laughs> so we called the police. No, I'm just kidding. But he offers us all this, he says, just in believing. You come to God, you come to him in faith. Lord, give me your peace, give me your joy. Here's my anxiety, this is what's holding me back right now, I'm going to give it to you. He gives us this peace and joy. Another powerful passage on peace, John 14, 27. Jesus, on the eve of his crucifixion, says this, which just, you just can't come up with better examples than the Lord Jesus Christ. Before they were going to beat him and... and, crucify him, and all the things that he was going to go through That the night before, he's talking about the peace of God. And in Romans 14, 27, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not, let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Would I be saying this if they're going to execute me in the morning? Beat me to death, crucify. He knows what's coming and he says this. He just a little bit later he's gonna bleed sweat drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? And yet it's all in He has peace of heart. He has peace of God, passes understanding. It's supernatural. It's not human made. It doesn't come from us. It doesn't come from circumstances. You don't muster it up. It only comes from God. You can only get it from God. Another example I like from the life of Jesus is the one we read about in uh, several of the Gospels when the disciples one day put out in a boat out on the Sea of Galilee with Jesus, and they go out away. And the Sea of Galilee, you can see across it. It's only a couple, few miles wide, a few miles long. You can see across it. It's more like a big lake. Um, but if you're out there, and one of their fishing boats, as it were of the day, they're not real big and real stout, and they could blow up a good storm, And there's there's an example of that in the Gospels where they go out and it says a a storm, a windstorm blew up. So the wind starts blowing and the waves start rolling and the boats are rocking and the water's spilling over into the boat. And their hearts were a little bit troubled because it's a long way to shore and trying to swim back in a storm is not good odds for survival here. And so they're becoming afraid. And Where's Jesus in the story? Asleep, on the boat. Asleep in the storm that's got their heart tied up in knots. They're feeling anxiety, to say the least. They're not sure what's going to happen to them. Jesus is at peace. He's He's at rest in God's providence, in God's work, in God's life for him. He's exemplifying a life of faith in that moment. He's at peace, and they have to go and wake him up. And they're like, wake up. And he wakes up. He calms the storm. You know, peace be still, it, shoo, it stops. And then he's like, oh, you of little faith. <laughs> but he's there that at sleep, he's at rest, he's secure in who God is in his life. He's at peace, in despite of his circumstances. And that's the biblical idea of peace. Jesus calmed the storm in that moment. But Jesus had peace before the storm was calm. And after, and the next day, and the next day, and in the eve of his crucifixion as we look, he still had the peace of God, which passes understanding. And that's what he offers us. And you can have a rest in your heart despite your circumstances, despite the storms in your life that are rocking and rolling you right now. You can still have the peace of God. He offers it. He holds out that hand because of grace. And just says, come to me, and I can give you this. I'm going to close with a poem that Annie J. Flint wrote. Powerful poem. I'm going to give you three stanzas here. It's called, He Giveth More. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added affliction, He addeth His mercy. To multiplied trials, His multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed ere the day is half done, when we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limit. His grace has no measure. His power, no boundary known unto men. For out of His infinite riches... In Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. That is God's grace towards you. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Help us understand your grace and peace that you so freely offer us and to revel in these things and to be our experience. May we come to you by faith, Lord, and give you our troubles and anxieties that we may have your peace, joy, and rest. Lord, continue to make these things a reality in each of our hearts, Father. We all fail. We all have these bad days. We all lean on our own strength too long and too often. But Lord, continue to teach us these things. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.